0: Welcome to the Washington Church Toledo Podcast. Together, we are learning to encourage one another to walk with God through cultivating a personal relationship with Jesus the Christ. This podcast consists of recordings from our Sunday morning worship services and other teaching events that you are more than welcome to come join us live. Father, thank you for how much you love us. Thank you that you've called us to be your children. You for the work of Jesus on the cross, for his death and his resurrection that beckons us to come home and to be in right relationship with you. Father, I pray as we open your word this morning that we would take it into our very being. It would change us at a deep level. That we would not be the same because we've encountered you, the power of your spirit. We ask that you to continue to move here, Holy Spirit. We thank you for your presence. That you are our guide as a church community. and It is your role to take us to the end until we meet Jesus face to face. For that, we are grateful. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Uh, <clears throat> before I get into the message, just want to share uh, so just some family updates that are exciting. There's actually three newly married couples in this room this morning, if you could believe that. All were married in the last, I think, three weeks. Two of them were married on the exact same day. Uh, So we'll start over here with Nick and Jessica. Nick and Jessica, right here. AJ and Lexi, right here, this young couple. And then Hunter and Kathleen over here in the corner. So congratulations. We are excited to have you. We are in a series on the kingdom of God, and uh, as I've shared before, if you haven't had a chance to listen to the previous messages, I would encourage you to go back and listen to them leading up to this point. Um, And even this morning, what I want to do is I want to paint a picture for you of a a larger worldview paradigm that you can hang the rest of what we're talking about in this series on the kingdom of God on. I will also say to you that what I'm going to share with you may be foreign to some of you. Although it shouldn't be. Um, When we talk about the gospel, oftentimes we relegate the gospel to the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Which is a very limited view. You cannot have the gospel without that part. It is the climax and the essential piece. It's the pinnacle. However, there's much more to it. And what I want to do this morning is try and lay a foundation of a larger understanding from Genesis all the way to Revelation... And so I'm going to go through several scripture passages. I'm not going to read all of them all the way through, but I want you to note them um, so you can go back and reference them on your own. And then again, we have this resource, and uh, you can go back and listen to this message probably by Tuesday. Lauren will have it up, and she would love for you to listen to it. She puts all this time and effort into to posting this, and wherever you listen to podcasts, I'm told you can find, so Washington Church, Toledo, um, you can look it up in that way, and you can go back and reference this. But I want to start with this, this idea of worldview, okay? Our worldview is, it's essential that we have an understanding of what that is, because each and every one of us has a worldview, okay? And oftentimes, it's not conscious, and it's difficult to observe, because you are so steeped in it, you don't even realize that you have one. But every single one person has one, and every single one of your worldviews is biased and limited, okay? And it cannot not be that way, and and that's just part of the journey, but it's it's important for us to realize that. See, our worldview is not what you look at, it's what you look out from or look through. It's the very lenses that you see the world with, and each and every one of us has several filtered layers that we see the world with, and that's just the reality of of where we find ourselves, okay? Okay. But we have to be aware of it, because if we're not aware of it, we can't do anything about it. But once we begin to become aware of what our worldview is, we can begin to realize the biases that we have, and therefore begin to work at changing it and expanding it. Here's a worldview that I want to introduce to you with. See, most Christians, most Western Christians, live life and see things and think on the level of physical world first, and maybe the spiritual world sometimes. That is not how God created us to be and function. We are spiritual beings with bodies. We are not bodies with, with, that contain spiritual beings, if that makes sense. But here's the worldview I want to present this morning, and I'll start with this scripture passage. Matthew chapter 11. If you have your Bibles, open up to Matthew chapter 11. Right? And we're going to be all over the scriptures, but we're going to start and we're going to end with Matthew chapter 11. So, this is I like this translation from the NASB the best, that's why I'm going to use that for, for Matthew 11 this morning. But it says this: <clears throat> And from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God has been treated violently, and violent men take it by force. If you're a student of the scriptures, there should be one of the passages that you've come to and you say, what in the world does this mean? How many of you guys have, have, know what I'm talking about with this passage? I was actually talking to my wife about this several months ago as, as I was preparing for the Kingdom of God series and kind of planning it out, and, I, and she said, well, tell me what you're going to preach on and the different things. So I have to like clear it f- through her first. No, that's not true, but I, I told her one of the things I want to talk about is this passage, and she said, I need to look at that again. I had forgotten about that passage. And this is one of the passages that, <clears throat> as, as ministers, as preachers, oftentimes you get to and you go, well, skip that one. That one's really hard to figure out and to know what to do with. But literally, we have Jesus' words saying, or at least translated and saying, that there's this kingdom on earth, it's God's kingdom, kingdom of heaven, kingdom of God, interchangeable, um, Matthew uses the kingdom of of heaven out of respect and not saying the word God. Everyone else uses the kingdom of God, Luke and and Mark and and John. But this kingdom is treated treated violently. And violent men, and I don't know why they say men in there, actually. In the Greek, it's not obvious that it's men. But the violent take it by force. What in the heck does that mean? Here's the paradigm that I want to kind of expand your worldview with. And maybe, maybe this is a given for you, but just in case, I want to make it plain. The kingdom of God is not the only kingdom of this world. Okay? The kingdom of God is not the only kingdom of this world. If it were, your life would look a lot different. It would be a glorious... It's what it will be someday. Right? You want to look at what, what does the kingdom of God look like? Look at heaven. Or look at Re- the book of Revelation. That's the kingdom of God in its fullest extent at the end. But the kingdom of God is not the only kingdom of this world. Daniel chapter 7 verse 27 says this, Then the sovereignty, the power and the greatness of all the kingdoms, all the kingdoms, under heaven will be handed over to the holy people of the Most High. His kingdom will be an everlasting kingdom and all rulers will worship and obey him. So Daniel is prophesying here. The book of Daniel is prophecy. It's it's looking forward into the future. The Lord revealed to Daniel and he showed him what the future was going to look like. Daniel wrote these things down. Daniel says this, there are multiple kingdoms in this world. Okay, got it. Here's where it gets crazy. Those multiple kingdoms will submit and be handed over not to God, but to the holy people tracking with me? Now, God will rule and reign over that, yes, but those kingdoms, according to Daniel's prophecy given by God, will be handed over to the people of God. That's you. That's me. We are the people of God, right? And there will be one everlasting kingdom ruled by God at the end of time. But this is what Daniel said to us. The Bible gives an account of multiple kingdoms, but especially a kingdom that is in opposition to the rule of God in this world. Isaiah 14.12 tells us about when the deceiver or the prince of this world fell. Okay, In Isaiah 14.12, how you have fallen from heaven, morning star, son of dawn. You have been cast down to the earth. You once laid low the nations. Where was Satan, the deceiver, cast down to? Not a trick question. The earth. The place we live. Okay? So this is the framework that takes place. This event happened before all of, all of what we understand in Genesis 1 took place. Again, this might be a, a paradigm shifter for some of us in this room, and that's okay. We need to have a bigger perspective if we're going to understand the kingdom of God. Okay? Jesus says this. John 12, 31, now is the time for judgment on this world. Now the prince of this world will be driven out. Again, the prince of this world is the deceiver. Prince in Latin means the first above the others, right? What is Satan the first above? The demonic realm or the head of the, over the demonic realm, okay? Now, if you get stuck, there's, there's, a, there's a, a few enough of us in here. Raise your hand and I'll stop and I'll... Ask a question, which will be great. We got, Bridget left me plenty of time for the rest of the service. We had a conversation the last time at staff on who went longer between Bridget and I, and we had discrepancies of when she ended and when I ended. And, and then Lauren looked at the time, and Bridget was right, and I was wrong. So I had to apologize to Bridget for thinking that, anyway. We'll be good. <clears throat> When Genesis 1 talks about the fact that God spoke into the chaos and created things, I believe the chaos of that world that he spoke into was the demonic realm. It tells us in Genesis chapter 2, the Lord created the garden in Eden, and he placed the human beings in it, right? You tracking with me? Eden was a bridge between heaven and earth. Because it's where God dwelled. And he placed the human beings in Eden. And the point of Eden was to begin the rule and the reign of God on earth. And Eden was to be expanded until it overtook the dominion of darkness. Already I've lost some of you. That's okay. Keep tracking with me. When God created human beings and put them in the Garden of Eden, in Genesis chapter 1, he says this. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that why? They may rule over. They may have dominion over the earth. Dominion over the earth doesn't mean you can do whatever the heck you want with the earth. Doesn't mean you can destroy it because it's all going to burn anyway. That is theologically incorrect in how we are to see the world and how we are to treat the world. Reign over means you are to tend on behalf of God and to treat it well and advance God's kingdom on earth. That was the plan. And that's what happened. And so in that moment, God gives authority to the human beings, Adam and Eve, the first man and the first woman. And the point of that authority was to take that authority and expand that authority. What does he say? Be fruitful and multiply. Why? Expand Expand Eden beyond the current boundaries. That was the plan. That was always what God wanted. But that's not how things went. In Genesis 3, we have the story of the fall. And in that fall, the human beings were deceived. And when they were deceived, they actually, in their deception, handed the authority over to the evil one that God gave them. Are you tracking with me? Okay? Satan didn't take it. It was given over. Now, that's theology that will help us, and actually, for future thinking, in the month of October, for three Sunday nights, we're going to gather, and I'm going to do a teaching, and I'm going to partner with some other people. I'm still waiting for them to say yes. And, uh, and that soul of that teaching of those nights is to talk about this idea of, of the dominion of darkness and what we do with it. Because I've heard so many stories now from the people of Washington about their own demonic struggles that they've had. And so it's time to empower and equip our people to, to know how to deal with those things. So that's coming. Heads up. Mark your calendars for October. I think it's the second, third, and fourth Sunday nights in October we're, we're going to be doing that. And I'll, I'll tell you more about that. But we know what, how to deal with those things. Okay. So the result is sin and death. Entered the human race in that moment in Genesis chapter 3. And the authority that was given by God was lost or handed over by the human beings to the evil one. Who Jesus says has dominion over this world. That's why Jesus can say, the prince of this world, the ruler of this world. That language comes up in the Bible all the time. And when it comes up, it's not talking about Jesus. It's not talking about the Father. It's not talking about the Spirit. It's talking about the deceiver or the Satan. First John five nineteen says this: We know that we are children of God, and that the whole world is under the control of who? The evil one. Again, <clears throat> this is John's reflection on the condition of the world. So the evil one ensnares humanity with the authority that was given by Adam, given to Adam and Eve. And Paul talks about this in 2 Corinthians 4.4. 4. He says this, The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. So Paul was referring to this. He's saying, look, the ruler of this world intentionally deceives the human beings to keep them from the truth, which is who God is and who Jesus was. So when you're witnessing, when you're sharing your faith with somebody, and they don't hear or respond, that's what's taking place. The deceiver is blinding them from the truth. Don't give up, because greater is he that is in you than he is who it, that is in the world. Amen? Right? And so we keep at it. But we have this promise later on that the seed of Eve would bring redemption to the world. Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, we see that. And the important thing is this. It's the offspring of the woman is not just referring to Jesus because you are also offspring of the woman. And we see through stories and examples in the scriptures, I'll give you two, where the fulfillment of the offspring of the woman crushing the head of the serpent takes place. First one as in the book of Judges, where Jael drives a stake through Cicero's head. How many of you guys know this story? Okay, good. Well done. Go back and read it in Judges. Cicero was the, the commander of the army, and the army was losing, and he fled. Okay, Fled to the tent of Jael, and Jael takes him in. And she allows him to rest. In the middle of the night, she goes and she drives a stake through his head. Why? Does anybody know what Jael means? Yahweh is God. Anybody know what Cicero means? Snake in Hebrew. Well, that shouldn't be a surprise, right? God said this is going to happen. So that's the first example. The next example, you all know and love. Although we don't read it with with. Eastern eyes, we read it with western eyes, so we miss it out. David and Goliath. There are several descriptions of Goliath that indicate that he is from the enemy. I don't have time to get into it, but you can take my word for it. You can look it up later. You can come and ask me. What does David do to Goliath? How does he kill him? He strikes him with the head, a blow to the head, just like God said would happen. And so the people of God... The seed of the woman are to strike a blow to the head of the enemy. That is the calling of God's people. Jesus fulfills that in fullness, but we also get to be a part of that. That's us. It's not just Jesus. It's us as well. Listen to what Paul says in Galatians 4.4. But when the set time had fully come, God sent his son born of what? Why does Paul say this? Why does Paul give this detail? One of the reasons... But one of the main reasons is he's pointing back to Genesis 3. Because he says, the only way to defeat the evil one is through the seed of Eve, or the seed of the woman. And so he's pointing that out. Born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive adoption to sonship. That's us. Because we are his sons. God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts. The spirit who calls out Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave but a God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you also an error. What is an error? It's not something you do wrong. That would have been me in like, gosh, what was it? Elementary school. Because I'd I'd mix things up. I wasn't a smart kid. And uh, I remember one time I had to write an essay and, and how many teachers do we have in this room? Okay, you'll appreciate this. I had to write an essay, and, and it was like a uh, uh, back-to-school night, right? And so we had to, to the best of our ability, write an essay, and we had to give it a title. And I didn't know what to call my essay, so I wrote, I wrote the title essay on the top of, of my essay. But I didn't know how to spell the word essay, so I put S-A. That's me. This is Jimmy, okay? She'd, my mom's a saint. She was so patient with me. Um, an heir, what is an heir? What is it? Somebody who gets to inherit something, somebody who gets to take something on, right? The scriptures tell us that we are co heirs with Christ. That means we inherit what Jesus inherits, right? That's big. That's huge, actually. That's, a, that's a, another sermon altogether. But keep that in mind. I want you to file that away. We are heirs. as as we have a relationship with Jesus. Okay, Colossians, Paul says this, we're rescued from the dominion of darkness and brought into the kingdom of the Son that he loves. So we are in one kingdom, we're taken out of that kingdom and put into another kingdom when you place your faith in Jesus. It's not just a simple prayer that you pray. It is a transition from one spiritual realm into a completely different spiritual realm. This is why we need to begin to see things from a spiritual lens and not just from a physical lens. It's really hard because we live in a physical world. But we actually, the spiritual world is much greater and and much deeper than we have any kind of of recognition for. And and John tells us, this is why Jesus came. 1 John 3, 8. The reason that the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. Everyone was looking for him to, to, to conquer Rome. Everyone was looking at Jesus with a physical mindset. And Jesus kept telling them over and over again, I'm here for spiritual purposes. I'm here to conquer sin and death. I'm here to bring you home and to help you realize what your true identity is and to invite you to join in to this expansion of God's kingdom. That's why he talked about the kingdom of God over and over again. Paul talks about this again in Colossians 2, the work that's done on the cross. Verse 14, having canceled the charges of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us, He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. This is what happened at the cross. It was massive. Having disarmed the what? Powers and authorities. That's the demonic realm. Because again, Ephesians 6 talks about this. When he says our our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against the powers and the authorities and the principalities. Those are levels of spiritual darkness of dominion that exist in this world. And you run into it all the time. Every day, we just don't realize it. And we certainly don't treat it in a spiritual way. Oftentimes, we default to what we know, which is the physical way of dealing with things. Colossians 1, Jesus is given this new understanding or this new title, and He is the head of the body, the church. That's us. He is the beginning of the firstborn from among the dead. When Jesus rose from the dead, he was the beginning of a whole new being. Again, this is hard for us to take in. We don't see ourselves in this light, but that's what happened. And all those who follow him will be linked to him in that way, also becoming new beings in the same way that Jesus was, reconciling to himself all things. Whether in things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. And in that moment, when Jesus does that, part of the work that's done on the cross is the ability for humanity to reclaim the authority that they lost in the Garden of Eden. Let me say that again. The work that Jesus did on the cross when he defeated sin and death and the dominion of darkness was conquered. That doesn't mean it's gone means it's defeated. A defeated enemy doesn't disappear. It's still present. and still has the ability to do things. But the, the authority that it had is now gone. That's what Jesus does. And through the cross, the authority given to Adam and Eve has been restored to the human race by Jesus. For those who believe. Are you with me? Okay, again, this is a lot to take in, and I get it. That's why Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5.17, if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. That's a part of the new creation. Just as Jesus was resurrected, so too do we join him in that new humanity. So Adam was the first humanity. Jesus is the new humanity. This new humanity has never existed before. That's what that Greek word, new creation, that doesn't mean an updated model. That means prototype, literally in Greek. Something that never existed before now exists. That's what we are. That's what we're invited to be. So this is, the, this is the truth of who we are. The kingdom of God is now tasked to be advanced by this new humanity. We are part of a new creation through the resurrection of Jesus. Jesus. We are co-heirs with Christ to inherit what he inherits. We have been given the authority that Adam once had to rule and reign over the earth. Because Paul goes on to say this, and this is another one of those passages that you're like, what do I do with this? Romans chapter 8, verse 37. No, in all these things we are what? More than conquerors. What are we supposed to be conquering? We are more than conquerors. Didn't Jesus conquer everything? We are more than conquerors. This is what Paul calls us, more than conquerors. Tim's sitting there saying, well, i got to look at this. i got to look closely at this. I'm not, I'm not quite sure at this, Pastor Jimmy. You haven't raised your hand yet, Tim. You said one thing. <laughs> I don't want to do it in the lecture. First. So we are more than conquerors. Here's the question. Isn't everything taken care of at the cross? Yes and no. Yes, in that sin and death is defeated, that Christ has won, and the end is resolved. No, in that we still have this journey from now to the end. And I believe, this is Jimmy, and my understanding of the Scriptures and my own walk with the Lord, that that in-between time and how that is panned out is largely connected to how we respond and how we live out our faith. That doesn't mean God doesn't know what's going to happen. Cuz God knows everything that's going to happen. But I think some of us have taken a stance and you can pull this out of the scriptures and it's 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 back and forth, it's the free will predestination thing. And both both are there's truth in both of those things. But it's dangerous to walk the faith And just say, well, it's all up to the Lord. It is all up to the Lord, yes, ultimately. But how many times does God say, I'm waiting for you to do something about it? I created you for a purpose. I gave you meaning. I gave you authority. I gave you power. Why don't you use it? Call on me. Listen to the Spirit of God that's in you. Do what that spirit is telling you to do. But I'm going to do everything through you. And eventually Jesus comes back and every sorts everything out and all will be great. But I think there's a mentality that I've come across and I don't think it's a healthy one. that The church has and that is let's convert as many people we can and then hunker down and wait for Jesus to come back. I think that the return of Christ is solely predicated on the action of the church. I think Christ wants his bride to prepare itself in such a capacity, in such a way that he's excited to come back and get her. That's on us. That's on the actions we take and how we decide to live our lives. This is not a passive journey we've been invited to enter into. It's an active one. The original plan was for the human beings to rule over the earth, wasn't it? I showed you that earlier in Genesis subdue it and take it back from the chaos of the evil one outside of Eden. Because of the work of Jesus has done on the cross, that has now been made possible and has been restored to us. And now the people of God are called to take that kingdom. How do we take that kingdom? Back to Matthew 11, verse 12, it says this, And from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has been treated violently, and violent men take it by force. Again, here we are, Circle back. But it's important for us to have, I wanted you to have this background information in order to better understand this Matthew. So all of that was intro. Now is the sermon. All Rabbinical commentary tells us this. And again, the reason I go to these things is because the viewpoint and the mindset that wrote the scriptures was Eastern. Birthed out of, of, of the rabbinical system. And so anytime you can tap into that mentality, I think you'll get a a pure understanding of what Jesus meant when he spoke in this time. See, these words have been used to justify violence in Jesus' name for centuries with the slaughter of innocents in the name of the gospel. I'll give you some examples, some more intense than others. All the Crusades are an example of that. Doing it in God's name. And what they did was horrific. The desolation of the Aztecs by the Catholic evangelists would be an example of that. Slaughtering people. The treatment of Native Americans by America fits into that realm. The Holocaust, according to Hitler, was a religious war. He was convinced... That what he was doing was God's will and God's plan. Okay? Not to that same extent, but similar. We had an experience in January 6th in this country where people marched on the Capitol. I'm not saying it was this holy war, but I know people who were there as followers of Christ. And what they did was not right. But it's so we can easily, the point is this, we can easily justify our actions. Through the scriptures, and many of those actions are not what God would want us to do as people of God. But through our misunderstanding of the scriptures, we have done many things. But those things, obviously, looking at Matthew eleven twelve in light of that, seemingly, seemingly contradict what Jesus has been saying in his previous statements earlier in Matthew about the meek and the humble and the peacemakers. And the persecuted, those are the ones who inherit God. So how do we balance this kingdom taken by force and these other things that Jesus has to say? Because the scriptures are one voice and one story, and we have to reconcile these things the best we can. We can't always. There's scripture passages that are incredibly hard, and I don't know if we'll ever understand them outside of the Spirit of God enlightening us in profound ways before Jesus comes back. But we have to wrestle with this, and we have to work through this. Robert Lindsay, in his book *Jesus, Rabbi, and Lord*, says this: the Greek word *biazitai*, used in Matthew 11, translated as "suffers violence," might have originally been the Hebrew word hopperets. Ha- hopperets means the breachmaker. maker, the breach maker, the one who makes a breach, cuts a hole in something. Okay. Stick with me. Ma- Micah chapter 2 uses this phrase. And Micah chapter 2 is actually a messianic passage as well. I will surely gather all of you, Jacob. I will surely bring together the remnant of Israel. I will bring them together like sheep in a pen, like a flock in its pasture. The place will throng with people. So essentially, what Micah is saying is at some point, the Messiah is going to gather all these people together like sheep in a pen. Okay? And bring, and we see scripture passages talk about that, where Jesus uses that imagery. The one who breaks open the wall, harapets, will go up before them. They will break through the gate and go out. The king will pass through before them, the Lord at their head. So we have sheep in the pen, which is Israel, or the people that, that the Messiah calls and gathers together. We have a breaker or a harapets that is present. We have sheep that break through, and we have a shepherd, the Lord and King. So harapetz is translated as the one who breaks open the way. So to understand this, a bit about sheep. I love how Jesus uses imagery all the time. These plain, everyday things. This is what rabbis would do. They, they would want to, to teach something, and instead of doing it the way we do it, which is talk about it a bunch, they'd point to something and say, it's like that. Kingdom of God is, and when, I, when I, I'm going to take some time, vacation after today, um, when I get back, one of the Sundays we're going to talk about is the parables that Jesus talks, uses to describe the kingdom of God. He talks about parables all the time. Sheep. This is the Bedouin society that Jesus is talking to, okay? The land of milk and honey. And they had shepherds, obviously. We know the stories of Jesus' birth and the shepherds. They're out in the fields. When shepherds go to sleep at night, they don't just lay down and hope the sheep are there when they wake up. What they do is they look for a cave-like structure, and they, they bring the sheep into that structure. And what they do is they'll partner with other shepherds, actually, and, and they'll, so they'll work together and so they can, they can partner in the shift because somebody's got to stay awake through the night. And they... they they bring the the sheep into this kind of cavernous or this cave, but you have to block the cave, right? You can't just leave it open. And the cave opening is is too big for the shepherd just to lay across because there's too many sheep in there. And so what they do is they actually construct a wall of stone. They go around and they gather rocks, and they they create a a wall big enough so the sheep won't naturally just jump out. They probably could, but as long as they stay contained because sheep just do what other sheep do. And so as long as one of the shepherds making sure that nobody's jumping out and getting out, they'll be fine. That's what they do. They create this rock wall, okay? So picture a cave, rock wall, sheep are inside. Shepherds are near the front of that rock wall tending the sheep. In the morning when it's time, when the sun comes out and it's time to take the sheep out to graze, what happens? The shepherd takes his stick and he removes a section of the wall. So the sheep can begin to, to go out. You with me? Okay. When, the, when he removes a section of the wall, that's called haropets. Now, if you know anything about sheep, and I probably should have had a video to show you about sheep. Uh, but if you're on Facebook, there's enough sheep things, I think. Maybe it just shows me because I'm a pastor. I don't know. But um, once sheep start to move in a direction, they all tend to follow along right, but they get nervous, it's like trying to exit a, a concert or something, or, or leave a building really fast, and as they do that, the first couple, so the shepherd walks out through the wall first, because he leads them, he's to show them where they're going, what's going to happen next, and, and then the sheep goes, and as soon as one starts to go, the, the rest realize, hey, we're going here, hey, hey, we're going and, uh, and as they do that, what do you think happens to that opening in the rock wall? It doesn't stay. It gets bigger and bigger. Why? Because more and more sheep try to push their way through. And as they push their way through, more and more stones get knocked down. The opening gets wider. More sheep can get through. And as more sheep get through, more of the stones get... Are you tracking with me? That's Harro Pets. Now... Look at what happens when we read Matthew eleven twelve 12 in light of Micah 2. Jesus is not sanctioning violence as a means of advancing the kingdom of God. He's comparing John to Elijah, who breaks open the gate in the sheepfold, and the kingdom and the sheep are breaking out of the sheepfold. So we have sufferer's violence is being broken open, beginning with John. And the violent, those pushing their way out, take it by force, bursting through and opening it. The in it, opening, opening the opening wider and wider. Okay, so ever since John began his ministry in the wilderness, calling for repentance, people have been pouring into the kingdom of God. Is is what the rabbinical commentary would be on this passage. So your job and your calling and your purpose as a child of God is to reclaim what rightly belongs to you and break open the sheep pen wider and wider and wider. And every time you live your life to the fullest, every time you share the gospel, the good news with others, every time you give food and drink to the hungry and the thirsty, every time you clothe the naked, visit those in prison, heal the sick, make the lame walk, the blind see, set free those who are bound in sin, you partner with God to make his creation and humanity more. Every time we do that and a million other things, you're removing a piece of the wall that has held back the kingdom of God until this point. That's what Jesus is saying. That's how we to understand this idea of the kingdom being taken by force. And sometimes, this requires intensity and great passion to do it. But, When we do it, followers of Jesus should never compromise. We should never compromise the character of God when we are doing these things. We should never do it in the absence of the fruit of the Spirit. We should never do it at the cost or the compromise of God's image bearers. Humanity, the human race. Because our battle is not against flesh and blood. It's against the principalities that we war against. Again, spiritual lens to see this world, not just physical. This is the invitation we are being invited into. See, God's original plan and intention was to create a humanity that would be so deeply and intimately tied to Himself in relationship. But that, not just in relationship, but also to oversee and rule over this world that He created and advance His kingdom in it. That was compromised in the Garden of Eden. But Jesus redeemed that mistake and reclaimed what was lost, and it was handed back to the human race. Your calling as a child of God is to step into your purpose and step out of that wall that has contained you to this point, Haral Pets, and begin to change your worldview, to see this place as spiritual and not just physical. And when we do that, it will change the way you think, it will change what you see, and it will change how you act. And all of it is to be led by the Spirit of God. That's why it's so important to know the heart of God and to be in the Word of God. So those things are guiding and leading us forward into what God has for us and what God wants for us. But this is the bigger picture. This is the kingdom of God. And this kingdom is to be taken by force. And it has suffered violently. In other words, the sheep have been rearing to go in the pen waiting for the breaking open of the wall. And now the wall has been broken open and you and I are called to exit with passion in obedience to what God has for us. And as we do that, the kingdom of God will be advanced in the way that Jesus said in Matthew chapter 11. It's big, I get it. It's a lot bigger than death and resurrection. But it's the truth. And it's what we're invited into. And in order to really understand the kingdom of God or or enter into the kingdom, we need to have a bigger picture of that kingdom and how that kingdom operates. And that's what we're invited into as well. We're going to spend the rest of the summer having conversations around what this kingdom looks like, how we enter this kingdom, how we live in this kingdom, how we're obedient to the kingdom. Again, this is Jesus' number one message that he gives to humanity, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God. It's time for God's people to have a better understanding of the kingdom of God. We're going to take communion together this morning, and we're reminded of the body and the blood of Christ that was shed for the forgiveness of our sins, to make us right with God. This is the work that Jesus did on the cross for us, for every single human being, so that we could be reconciled to God. This is what God's Word tells us. And as we come to the table this morning, I want us to be mindful of that. And even come with a prayer in your heart, Lord, give me eyes to see your kingdom. Which is the same as saying, Lord, give me eyes to see the spiritual realm, which can be a dangerous prayer, especially if he begins to show you things in the spirit. But don't be afraid. God's doing that for a purpose. So as we come to the table this morning, let us keep that in mind, this bigger story of the plan of God and how you are a part of it. And this is the pinnacle, the climax of that moment. It's what restores us, what gives us purpose, gives us meaning, gives us identity. So this morning as we come, I want to invite you to come with a person that you prayed with. And maybe if there's somebody else around you, we want to make sure that nobody comes alone. But you're going to come to the table, serve one another. Be reminded of the body and the blood of Christ. And as you come forward, take the bread This is the body of Christ broken for you. Take the cup. This is the blood of Christ shed for the forgiveness of sins. As Jesus was with his disciples in the upper room, probably more than just the disciples, he took bread and he broke it and he handed it to them and he said, this is my body broken for you. Whenever you gather together, remember me. Remember what I did. And likewise, he took the cup. He said, this is the cup of the new covenant for the new humanity that has a job and a role and a purpose. And it was all made possible through his life, his death and his resurrection. So that he could be a model for us of how we are to be. And so we partake in the the bread and the cup as the blood of Christ shed for the forgiveness of our sins. So let us be mindful of that as we come forward. And after you take communion, I want to encourage you to do this. Just step to the side with whoever you come with and pray for each other. Pray for a deeper understanding of the movement of God in you. Pray for a, a deeper understanding of the purpose of what you've been given and pray for the courage to step out and advance God's kingdom, to be haropets. that you begin to knock down the stones on the walls so others may be set free. This is what we are called to, you join me in prayer. Father, thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for what you've done for us. Thank you, Lord, that you started something. That You broke open this wall through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And you invite us to do the same. May we be a people that as we exit, we are removing chunks of the wall as we go so that your kingdom will not be contained. So that we would join in in setting others free, sharing the good news of the truth of the gospel with them. Lead us, Lord. Show us where to go and how to go. Holy Spirit, direct us. In our eyes and our minds, so that we may better understand what we are called into, the purpose that we've been given. I pray that your word, your truth, would settle in the hearts of our people. And it wouldn't just stay there, Lord, but it would be like a, a seed that's planted and it would begin to grow and sprout and take over, just like the mustard seed. And may your kingdom be advanced. May this area of Toledo and beyond not be the same because this church community exists and we believe that what you say is true as we come to the table Lord would you bless us and encourage us there are those who need to be spent some time just saying talking to the Lord and asking for forgiveness maybe even somebody in this room you need to get right with do that Father, thank you for how much you love us. Thank you for what you've called us into. Give us what we need to be obedient to you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you're looking for a way to get plugged into what we're doing, email us at office at washingtonchurch.org or go to our website, washingtonchurch.org.